Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer of Football Outsiders. Today, I have a, a former colleague, great guest, Jeff Ratcliffe from FT and Fantasy, Sirius and everywhere. Jeff, how's it going, man? Uh, seems like you're blowing up these days. I, I guess. I don't know. I'm <laughs> the, the room you see me in right now is a room I spend about 70 hours mm. a week in by myself, so it doesn't feel that way. But yeah, former colleague, man, it's, it's kind of crazy thinking back to those days how many of us all work together and now how many of us are all over the industry. It's really, it's wild to think about. Yeah. It's weird how those things go. Yeah. Your room kind of gives me Bo Burnham inside vibes. If you've seen that Netflix special, um, <laughs> but we're the it. fantasy, we're the fantasy football edition of that. And, you know, even though we're kind of holed up in our homes, we can give you some great fantasy advice looking at the week seven games over the weekend, obviously an enjoyable game last night on Thursday, but we have, what do we have? 12 games to cover for Sunday and Monday. So we better just hit into these. Let's start on Sunday at 1 with the Washington football team at the Packers. That's 1 p.m. in Green Bay, but good weather, 50 degrees and clear, maybe a little bit of wind. But, Jeff, my major storyline question for this game, does, does A.J. Dillon's development change how you feel about Aaron Jones from a fantasy perspective? Because Dillon's seen his workload kind of tick up of late, and I didn't know if that was like a Dillon-only thing, or are you worried a little bit about Jones being you know, that top-five type of fantasy option? I'm not overly concerned. To be honest with you here, mm. I, I still think that Jones is just fine. And really, a large part of uh, the appeal to Jones is that nose for the end zone that he has historically shown. Yeah. So, no. And in fact, in a week where we desperately need help, like Darnus Johnson, thank you. We needed something <laughs> with so many teams on by. Dylan's flexible this week. We've oh, seen that slate uptick. So I, I don't I don't mind it at all. And I think it's actually good for Green Bay. And they can sustain both of these guys. I think you're right, too. And they kind of did that a little bit with Jamal Williams a little bit last season. And the thing that I mean, concern isn't quite the right word. I, I was definitely in on Jones like everybody else. But given that Dylan's so big, he's like nearly 250 pounds. I thought that he might be making a little bit more of an impact in the red zone where you mentioned Jones is so effective. But so far that it hasn't really happened. You know, Dylan's got one rushing and receiving touchdown and 1.0 expected touchdowns in that range. Jones has six actual and 4.9 expected. So, I mean, it seems Dylan is more like replacing the Jamal Williams, getting a few more targets, being there in pass protection is something that Jones doesn't do very well. But it's it's really more secondary where Jones seems pretty confidently like the guy that's been the top 10 fantasy option for years now, right? Yeah, you know, it's surprising the passing down work for Dylan because he really wasn't asked to do it at mm -hmm. Boston College. Doesn't mean they can't do it. You know, that's the great misnomer. You know, if we don't see it, hey, some of these guys can end up being very decent Pass oh, catching yeah. backs. Jamal Williams wasn't asked to do it at BYU. Ended up being, you know, he's pretty solid in that area. Uh, Ronald Jones wasn't asked to do it at <laughs> USC, and he has not. So, you know, we can't always just, you know, I certainly can't box score scout when it comes to evaluating college prospects. But it's definitely encouraging. Scott, I stood next to A.J. Dillon at the uh, combine, <laughs> or he stood next to me. That's what, yeah, and, so you're a big former lacrosse player. I mean, oh, total yeah. athlete here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, other, he's a, the other Jeff Rackliff <laughs> is actually aware that I exist, which is pretty cool. <laughs> I'm excited about that. But no, he is – the thing about him is he doesn't look like how much he weighs. Like yeah. he is just a brick house. There isn't an ounce of fat on this guy. And I mean, we know – we all have seen the pictures – but I buy into him from a long-term perspective. Mm -hmm. I know we're not talking dynasty here, no, but, but there's a lot insight. of dynasty appeal. I completely agree. This has actually been one of the bigger lessons for me in fantasy that I learned the hard way by trading the pick for Jonathan Taylor. Taylor being a guy that never caught the ball in Wisconsin, but 
it probably was just because he was getting the ball 25 or 30 times on the ground for a game. And maybe they just wanted to not kill the poor man. So you have to learn those lessons once the hard way. But I think for everybody that has Aaron Jones on the roster, I don't think they have any need to worry, but Dylan, I agree, especially this week, very flex worthy as well. Uh, from a DFS perspective, I'm going to look at the other side of things because Washington is, is short some of the normal players. And I think that makes Ricky Seals Jones a little bit of a decent option. He's just 3,700 in DraftKings, I think $700 underpriced. The first three weeks of the season when Logan Thomas was healthy, he played 10 to 18% of snaps. He's played 93% or more the last three weeks, 100% last week. And he's got a very nice 16.1% target share in recent weeks. Are you willing to pull the trigger on, on Seals Jones while Thomas remains out? Absolutely. And he's back in practice. So that was mm -hmm. a little bit of a sigh of relief. It's rare to, it's rare to stream a tight end and feel confident yeah. in today's <laughs> uh, NFL. And I feel yeah, confident absolutely. about him. You picked him up. You have him until Thomas comes back. Once Thomas comes back, mm -hmm. players don't tend to lose their spot due to injury. And I don't think Seals Jones has done enough that he would supplant him, but we'll ride the wave for now. And DFS, you mentioned it. Like, do you want to go Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, and pay out the nose? Or do you want to punt there? It's a weird week in that yeah. there's so many interesting running back values this week for DFS. But Seals Jones, that price point is, is almost too tough to ignore. Yeah, we'll try to hit on some of those running back values as well over the other games. Let's move on to the Chiefs at Titans. 1 p.m. in Tennessee, 73 degrees, a little bit of wind here, 12 miles per hour too. Although we will get to the major weather concerns a little bit later. Uh, my major question for this game is, does the Chiefs matchup scare you or excite you with respect to Derrick Henry? Because obviously it's been a huge story this year about how ineffective the Chiefs have been defensively. They're number 31 in both run defense and pass defense in terms of DVOA. But they're also a team that can run up the score a little bit. And we saw what happened to the Titans in week one when they fell behind the Cardinals. That's the only game that Derrick Henry hasn't gone off on. And I don't know if I should be worried about this week or not. What do you think? I'm not worried. No. It's <laughs> not, not now. Uh, he's a freak of nature. He, he is. You know, we're talking – and it's every phase. We're talking runs of 15-plus. We know we've ri he's ripped off nine of them so far. Scored uh, four touchdowns on eight goal line carries. So he's getting the ball in the key region of the field. He's on pace to break his uh, single season catch record, which was only 19. Yeah. But he could do that even. He could tie it this week. He could pass. I don't think he catches four balls, to be honest with you. I think the under on the two and a half is more interesting to me. <laughs> but regardless, it's everything on top of it. Once you get him to the second level, he is the single most dangerous player in the NFL. And, and I know what I just said, even compared to somebody like Tyreek Hill, Derrick Henry at the second level is unstoppable. The only way you do stop him is what the Cardinals were able to do. Mm. Get him before the line of scrimmage. And he's still going to have his 18 to 25 carries. But if you can get him there, you can get a 20 for 80 Derrick Henry game, which, you know, you can't stop him, but you can contain him. I don't think they can do that, though. I really yeah. don't. And, you know, it, it, that's to the detriment of Ryan Tannehill, unfortunately, for folks who – hey, this is why efficiency is important and paying attention to efficiency is important. Guys who are crazy efficient can't sustain that over the long term. And if you have Derrick Henry, by the way, what are you going to do? You're going to run Derrick Henry. So no, yeah. no worries at all. I'm just enjoying the ride. This is so much fun to watch this guy play football. That's kind of the joke because I, I keep saying in, in quotes that Derrick Henry got held to 17 carries in week one, like a dream <laughs> workload for literally any other running back on your squad. So I'm with you, and especially after the Bills last week. I mean, that was the number one run defense in our metrics, too, and, and he just diced them up. And, and so it's just like I, I'm beyond having concerns for him, and I think at this point you and everybody else is going to be building all of your DFS lineups around him. 
So for the DFS angle, assuming you're going to do that, I, I might as well look on the other side too. We've got Daryl Williams at just 5,800 in DraftKings. I think that's 500 underpriced. So I was a little bit concerned the week before because he had a somewhat even split of a 43% snap share versus a 31% for Jarek McKinnon. But last week when they were the only two real options, he jumped up to a 72% snap share, obviously scored the two touchdowns on two carries. He's got really good red zone type of totals compared to McKinnon. So I think at this point, you're very confident he's going to get all the touchdown work. It seems like he's getting more of the actual work too. Seems like a good bet to me, but do you feel the same way? Yeah, I do. And I think what we have here is is clarity. And mm. we didn't have that with Clyde Edwards-Alaire on the field because Andy Reid obviously likes Daryl Williams. So if you have them both yeah. as an NFL coach, I can't blame these guys for using them both. <laughs> but if you only have one, you're just going to use the one. I was uh, pleasantly surprised, relieved to see him go up over 20 carries in that contest to get the red zone work, yeah. to to score, all of that. And now this week, I'm, I'm much more confident than I was last week. Uh, Jarek McKinnon's not a factor. And yeah. fortunately, they have not traded for Marlon Mack as of <laughs> right now. So it will be Williams. With the 100%. All right, next up, we have the Falcons at Dolphins, 1 p.m. in Miami, 85 degrees clear with a 12-mile-per-hour wind. Uh, Jeff, I know this is a big one for you because I believe you have Kyle Pitts in, in our Dynasty League that we're in together, but do you think Kyle Pitts' nine-catch, 119-yard touchdown game in London, was that a product of the matchup? I know that Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage were both out that week, or do you think he can sustain like real top-five fantasy value going forward? I hope the bye week showed them – what they need to be doing. Mm. Uh, I do have some major concerns just in general for Matt Ryan. He has historically struggled his first year in a new system. Yeah. We've seen that those down years and then he kind of, it all clicks. And I do think he's struggling based on his average depth of throw. They, he, balls are traveling just 6.2 yards in the air Yeah, on average. That is dink and dunk city right there. And I don't think that offers a lot of appeal for Calvin Ridley, for Kyle Pitts, even if there's lots of volume. So hopefully coming out of the bye week, we see that tick up. I, I, I'm not talking he needs to be thrown over 10 yards downfield on average or anything like that, or even nine yards. I would yeah. take eight at this point, to be honest. But I do think this is sustainable with Kyle Pitts. I know there are a lot of people out there who are concerned about Kyle Pitts, and it's tight end. You know, it's going yeah. to be a roller coaster ride. But this guy, he is basically a wide receiver playing tight end, but actually a tight end as well. He's not just a basketball player out there. Mm -hmm. He's played straight on up through – you know, at the high school level, he played not too far away from where I live right now at Archbishop Wood High School. A two-way player, too, by the way. Nice. <laughs> He's awesome. He's awesome. I do think it's a top five going forward, and I do think they they really prioritize it. And the, the offense is going to run through three players, him, Ridley, and Cordero Patterson. Cordero Patterson, as we all predicted. <laughs> uh, hate it for my guy, Mike Davis. But you know what? Whatever. It's fun. I'm kind of into it. And i got to say, while I was pessimistic for Pitts entering the season, kind of based on the historical slow starts that many tight ends have had to their career, even the ones that we thought of were being special like O.J. Howard, uh, I'm buying in definitely a lot more. Like, Even though he hasn't been getting force-fed the targets the way that I was hoping to see, all of his efficiencies on like a per-target or a per-catchable target basis all look really good. He's averaging 12.3 yeah. yards per catchable target, third highest among tight ends. Uh, 12.4 air yards per catchable target. Interestingly, also third highest. So it's like, I think the low A dot in a large part is due to like Ryan checking down, like throwing the ball to guys like Patterson rather than trying to force the ball down the field and stretch the field. But I'm hoping like you that the, the game in London proved like how effective it can be to actually 
stretch that ball, throw it to Pitts, a guy that has huge mismatch potential over anybody that might be trying to guard him. So I'm growing more optimistic, and I've got him projected mm -hmm. up to like 139 PPR points the rest of the way, which it's not like that's going to win you fantasy leagues per se, but I do have that as the third highest among fantasy tight ends. Um, it, in terms of points per game, it's actually fourth because he obviously already had his bye, but kind of right in that TJ Hawkinson, Mark Andrews range, like you were mentioning. And, you know, I'm not sure people are kind of there right now. I know there was the optimism early in the year, but I don't know where the value is now. This might be an opportunity to trade for him. Um, so I'm kind of encouraged there. I wish I was saying I was encouraged by Tua Tonga Lavea because, I mean, I do think from my perspective, it doesn't really make sense how pessimistic everybody's been over the whatever nine or whatever career starts. Um, but, you know, it's it's not looking great for his long-term future. But I will say that this week in DFS, it may be a different story. He's only 5,500 in DraftKings. You obviously love the Falcons matchup. They're a booster, a passing touchdown rate by 34%. Um, and they also cut interception rate pretty significantly as well. But the trick with Tua, I think, that makes him maybe even better in fantasy than real life is that he's got four rushing touchdowns in just 13 career games. And he looked pretty spry despite the rib injury last week. Uh, so I feel pretty good about that. Do you think that you would rely on Tua in a DFS setting at this point, or is that getting you a little bit too deep at the position? I mean, I think it's fair this week. Mm -hmm. And with, uh, you know, with six teams on by, yeah. uh, you know, you're going to have to differentiate somehow. Uh, it's appealing if you go after Jalen Waddle and the volume's still there, yeah. or if you go after Mike Kosicki and the volume's still there. But it looks like Devontae Parker trending towards getting back on a field. Preston Williams we forget about the connection. It looked mm -hmm. like Preston Williams was Tua's favorite receiver before he got hurt last year. That's true. So it's the trick of who do you stack with him? Mm -hmm. Or is it a Miles Gaskin week where he has 10 catches? Yeah, the whack-a-mole with Miles oh. Gaskin is just killing my fantasy squads for sure. Uh, it's tough. Yeah, it's. I think he is definitely going to be a tough player to stack when the full complement of Dolphins receivers are there. But I'm hoping at least for Virtua's sake that that'll also showcase that maybe he's a little bit better than we're giving him credit for right now and that he can actually have an NFL career. But let's move on. We've got the Jets and Patriots next. 1 p.m. Eastern time in New England, 58 degrees and clear. Here's another fantasy whack-a-mole situation, Jeff, that's been pretty annoying. But do you find any fantasy value in the Patriots running game? I feel like I'm asking this question every week, but you're a new guest, so you can you can tell me how to how to figure this stuff out here. Game script, game script, game script, right? <laughs> yeah. If if they're going to be winning, Damian, uh, Damian Harris is, is going to be uh, obviously a quality option. Mm -hmm. uh, if they are not winning, then it's going to be a bit of a crapshoot. Last week was weird. I did not expect to see Ramondre Stevenson used in the passing game like he was. I didn't expect the Reds or the goal line carry either. Yeah, But we knew, I, I think we knew, Brandon Bolden, who incidentally has been on the Patriots since 1942, mm -hmm. uh, that we weren't going to be relying on him. You know, he was certainly a, just like a Band-Aid. He's a special teams guy. He's a Belichick favorite. But is he really the passing down back? Maybe it's Stevenson. Anything can can certainly happen one week in the NFL. If we see it two weeks in a row, though, that's more of a trend. I, I am actually willing to flex him out in this contest where I do think they're going to go after Zach Wilson, create a lot of chaos for Zach Wilson, just like they did in week two and play from the lead. So if they do, Harris is in play, and and they're going to try and keep covering up Mac Jones as well. And so, therefore, Stevenson could be in play as well. So I'm with you on the game script side of things, and it also kind of shows up in just the matchup side of things, where if you do a split of Harris versus New Orleans and Tampa group together, they're both top five teams in run defense DVOA. 
averaged five carries, only five yards per game, didn't score in those two games. But the other four opponents are all 14th or worse in run defense DVOA. And he averaged very appealing, like 17.8 carries, 80 yards, and, and scored three touchdowns in those four games. I mean, you can look at it either way, really, because like those are the, the worst teams. And so the Patriots had the chance to build the lead. However you slice it, the Jets are one of those good opportunities. Yep. So I feel like Harris is, a, is a definitely a player that you can go with this week. With Stevenson, I'm a little less sure because while he got more work last week, the actual snap shares haven't really changed that much. 34% and 33% the last two weeks. Also, he's had some like very visible pass protection mistakes. And it seems like a weird like square peg round hole thing where it's like, here's our new passing down back. It's this giant guy that maybe doesn't know how to pass protect. It's like, how do, I don't really know how that shakes out. And maybe they're just missing a better option at it. But like, I'm not really sure that he's even on my like, you know, 14 team radar necessarily. But I don't know. Do you think Stevenson's trending in the right direction at all? Or was that more of a blip? I don't know, honestly. I wish yeah. I did know. And, that's, and that's classic and, Patriots, by the way. The whole, just, of yeah. course. The whole reason why I'd be willing to flex him this week is because once you get outside of the top 30, it gets ugly very quickly. Oh, like you're, once you get to Mark Ingram territory, you're like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I got to take shots this week. A lot of people are in bye week hell, and yeah. they may have to use him. If you're, especially if you're in a 12 team or you got reasonably deep benches, there's not much you can do this week. So it's that's true. why he is at least in consideration. You just kind of pray he gets another one of those goal line carries. Mm -hmm. From a DFS side of things, I've got Hunter Henry as an option, 4,100 in DraftKings, although, frankly, I don't love that play either. Yeah. I've got him $200 underpriced, pretty mild for a, a call out of a game, but there's not a ton of guys that I think make total sense in this game. But Henry is trending in the sense that he's had two more targets the last three weeks than he had the first three weeks, and he scored a touchdown the last three weeks when he didn't score earlier in the year. But I will say that he only has 1.0 expected touchdowns using Mike Clay's opportunity-adjusted touchdown research versus the, the three actuals. So like, here's a guy that regression may be coming for a little bit. It just seems like he's kind of making inroads versus John o. Smith in the offense. Like, do you have any sense of what the tight ends are going on here too? Or is this more, more Patriot whack-a-mole No, I actually think that this one makes uh, far too much sense. You know, we maybe were a little bit more optimistic about Smith because of the athletic profile, the move mm -hmm. profile, but maybe it should have just been we were, you know, we were we should have been on the inline tight end all along for Mac Jones. Yeah. That seems to be the area of the field he's looking at the most. Obviously, Jacoby Myers in the in the middle of the field intermediate area, he's been targeting a ton. Jacoby Myers will never score a touchdown. He'll throw for them. He will <laughs> he never scored score it, a but then it got called back. Know, and then the I next know. play they turned it over. I was devastated <laughs> for the poor guy. It's like 120 career catches. Yeah, it's unbelievable. But that seems to, to make a lot of sense, and I do think this continues. The problem is I just don't think there's enough meat on the bone in the passing yeah. game for him to be one of those uh, set-and-forget types mm -hmm. where we're just confident every week. But, yeah, I've always loved Hunter Henry as a player, uh, and, and I'm glad to see this so far. I'm, I'm using him in plenty of season-long leagues where the pickings are slim, but yeah. he, like you said, has been fine in the end zone. Absolutely. All right, next up, my Carolina Panthers at the New York Giants, 1 p.m. Eastern time in New York, 59 degrees and clear. This question isn't so much for this week, Jeff, but I'm, I'm just so excited about Kadarius Tony. I wanted to ask you, where do you expect Tony to rank when both he is healthy and all of his skill player teammates are healthy? Because we've seen him be like just incredible in terms of volume while he's been basically the only guy. 0.37 targets per snap the last two weeks, although last week that was what, three targets on six snaps six before snaps. he got hurt. <laughs> 
Uh, last year, Deontay Johnson led receivers with uh, 50 or more targets with just 0.20 targets per snap. So we're like double that. But again, we didn't have Sterling Shepard. We didn't have all these guys. So I, I don't know what to make of it. Do you have a sense of where Tony's going to fit in when everybody's there? Is there ever going to be a point where everybody's there? I mean, because Sterling, Sterling Shepard apparently he suffering at least a year. And he's apparently suffered a setback. You have Kenny Galladay, which who knows? Uh, yeah. Slayton now is healthy, but for how long? Mm -hmm. Is Evan Ingram ever going to be fully healthy? Probably not. They may I, trade him for all we know. Exactly. So Tony, I mean, you, I, it's hard to not view him as a, at least fringe wide receiver too when it, when he is in there. Because the kid is absolutely electric. I know it was it's a lazy comp, but it's hard. It was hard for me to just not see Percy Harvin because of the mm -hmm. college uniform, I guess. Yeah. But it was also the dynamic ability. No, he's not Percy Harvin in his prime, but that's the type of player I put him on that player spectrum of the versatility, the upside, the the shiftiness, the speed, and honestly, probably a better route runner than he was getting credit for in the pre-draft process. And yeah. he finally gets on the field, and he's just one of those players. The ball is going to find him. If Shepard's on the field and no Tony, yes, Daniel Jones is going to look at his way all day long. But if they're both on the field, I think he's looking for Tony because that kid's just too special to not be targeting. Yeah, I think I'm honestly one of those guilty parties where like, I, I think I read too much into him being a gadget player, a player that didn't really make an impact until he was a senior at college. It's like all of these pessimistic things, but you watch him on the NFL field and his skill set is just so much more diverse than I ever would have thought. And I keep going back to this. He made this incredible leaping catch on the sideline, toe tap to stay in bounds. I was like, I mean, that's the kind of thing that you're expecting from DeAndre Hopkins yeah. playing on the perimeter. Like not this again, perceived gadget player who you figured you would just dump him off behind the line of scrimmage and see if he could run after the catch a bit. He's like a real complete receiver, and that, that's made me tremendously more optimistic for him going forward. And you know what? He's bigger than people realize, too. I mm -hmm. think a lot of people kind of had him in the Rondale Moore territory in terms yeah. of, of size. He, he's he's not he's not a big bodied receiver, yeah. but he's deceptively larger than than people realize. I guess is the way to put it. Yeah, at Football Outsiders, we have a scouting expert, Derek Klassen, who says he plays smaller than he is, and I think that's true in a sense that he's not yeah. like in the middle of the field banging bodies. Yeah. But like, can he go up and catch a ball? I think the answer to that is yes, and yeah. like I think that that opens up more of the field than I really thought was going to be the case for him. From a DFS angle, going to, again, switch teams here and go with Chuba Hubbard for the Panthers, 6100 in DraftKings. I think that's $600 underpriced. Uh, McCaffrey back on injured reserve um, and in his absence the last four games. Hubbard's had 14, 15, 29, and 17 touches. The production per se hasn't been there, but the Panthers have fallen behind and entered some pretty bad game scripts. Maybe that'll be different this week against the Giants. You know, the Giants increased run plays by 18%. They increased yards per attempt by 12%. Those are both pretty big numbers. Maybe the Panthers can stay competitive this week and that could give him more chances. Uh, what are your thoughts on Hubbard? Have you been kind of impressed with him as a prospect since? I know that this is a temporary fill-in, but like, what are your thoughts? I, I'm relieved. Another relieved here with Rodney Smith that first week was like, oh, <laughs> great. <targets. laughs> here we go. And then obviously he's not on the team any longer. Uh, you know, it was interesting they did bring in Mir Abdullah. I don't know if that means anything whatsoever because teams kick the tires on players all the time. Uh, but as for now, it's Hubbard, and it's Hubbard, and it's Hubbard, and we've seen that the last couple games, which is obviously a, a huge relief, especially if you had McCaffrey. This is not what you signed up for. I know if we could go back in time, everybody would have just drafted Derrick Henry first overall, and we would have called mm -hmm. it a day, but the matchup is favorable. The game script should be favorable, 
and we should see a 20-plus touch outing out of Hubbard if all works out well. I never would have thought we'd be think be talking about him in season long as a top 12 play. We are. That's yeah. one of the price points that I alluded to earlier. I didn't say his name specifically, but those guys in that high $5,000, low $6,000 range, you can load up on those guys this week, and Hubbard's definitely one of them. So, like, with the, with the Amir Abdullah point, I'll point out that Brandon Zilstra just went on injured reserve for the team, a key special teams contributor. And so I think that might be a signing to return some kicks and punts with Alex Erickson, the normal punt returner, like mm -hmm. normally more able to play only special teams. But the Panthers are running out of receivers because yeah. Terrell Marshall also dealing with concussion. I'm not sure who they're going to play right now. This could be a little rough, but hopefully, hopefully that it's going to work out for Chuba. Uh, let's shift over to the game that I think is the most interesting game of the early slate. The Bengals at Ravens, 1 p.m. in Baltimore, 65 degrees and clear. Joe Burrow has been amazing in fantasy so far. I think of him probably as a top 10 option, but do you think he's a top 10 fantasy quarterback no matter the matchup? Because this is maybe a different type of situation than he's been in so far this season. You know, I don't. I actually no. don't. And it comes down in part to volume. He's playing great football. Mm. I mentioned the name Ryan Tannehill earlier. Yeah. Ryan Tannehill efficiency for a year and a half was really good and it made him look a lot better than probably really is where we're where we're viewing ryan Tannehill now as a front end quarterback too i think that's where we probably should have been viewing him all along and i think yeah. that's probably where we should be viewing joe burrow 29 passing attempts per game it just isn't sustainable even if you have jamar chase playing fabulous <laughs> football even if you have the wealth of uh t higgins and tyler boyd also on the field along with Joe Mixon, who can do so much for you. And heck, even the even the the, the backup running backs are pretty Chris quality. Evans, that that catch, like 29-yard oh. touchdown, was a thing of beauty for a six-round rookie. I mean, impressive stuff. Another one of these Michigan kids, though. Like, Michigan, if, if you won national championships for having the most athletic kids, Michigan would win. <laughs> like, all those teams. Think about it. Like, Donovan Peoples-Jones, that – that uh, vert jump that he did, the 44-and-a-half-inch yeah. vert jump, he jumped so high that you can see him, like, spotting the landing as he's coming <laughs> down. Like, he had time to wait. Nico Collins, like, all these guys so freakishly athletic. And That's Evans true. is one of those guys as well. I, I think he's a neat little player and, and a good pickup by them in the draft. Uh, but it's all about Joe Mixon, though, of course. But back to your original question, I love Burrow. I, I, I'm happy they're not passing as much as they were last year yeah. to sustain him more. But I'm going to view him more in that, you know, outside of uh, six teams on by yeah. uh, as a front-end quarterback streamer type as opposed to a guy you can just set in and forget. I wanted to disagree with you, and I did think early in the year there was a bit of like, we're kind of going to build him into the season slowly, recovering from the torn ACL. He passed for fewer attempts the first three games than he did the, the, the next three. Like, oh, this is kind of trending in the right direction a little bit. But the fact of the matter is, even if the passing attempts are on the rise, there's a big inequity here with the fact that he has 14 passing touchdowns versus just 5.3 expected touchdowns. Yeah. And it's not like he's not being effective. Like, the reason there's a discrepancy there is because he keeps hitting Jamar Chase for 40-yard touchdowns. Like, <laughs> don't expect those to become touchdowns every week, and they probably won't. And maybe Burrow will then extend some of those drives and end up having more touchdowns that way. Mm -hmm. But I think the fact of the matter is, like, there's an attempt to be a little bit more balanced, like you're suggesting. Last year, I think they worried that maybe the high-volume passing offense is what got him hurt. And now that they have a defense that's actually capable as well, they can just run a more balanced attack that's good for everybody. Like, this is good for the team, even if it's not specifically great for Burrow's fantasy value. But, I mean, high-end quarterback, too, that's great. You know, I think that can work. May not be the best week for it because the Ravens cut passing touchdown rate by 19%. So, like, I have him 14th this week. I think it's a tough matchup. But, I mean, that's 
that's great. I think everything's trending positively in the long term. He can be a really good fantasy value, but uh, I think I'm with you that the volume may not be there to really support a top 10 case. Meanwhile, I'm totally with you on the DFS side of this. Joe Mixon, love him this week. $7,200 in FanDuel. I think that's $300 under price. The Ravens, I know they have a great reputation as a defense, but they're more middle of the pack, 15th in pass defense and 13th in run defense DVOA. And importantly for Mixon, they're a big increaser of running back yards per target. And while some of that, sometimes early in the season, that can be a little bit wonky, I think it's fair to say that Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison, the two second-year linebackers, they haven't really lived up to their high draft pick billing yet. In the long term, that may happen, but I think there may be some opportunities for Mixon to get some like good one-on-one -on -one opportunities against linebackers. Austin Eckler had four catches for 48 yards last week while the Chargers did absolutely nothing on offense. So I feel like the chances are there that Mixon could do more than that this week with hopefully a better offensive attack. What do you think? Yeah, I'm glad you brought up uh, Queen. There's there's obviously a lot of talent with Queen, but he has still a lot of learning to do at the pro mm -hmm. level. You know, the IDP crowd last year was going crazy over him. <laughs> But there are deficiencies there, and we have seen this team let up some rushing touchdowns to opposing running backs. It's six mm. on the season. It seemed like it was going to be a great day for Eckler last week, but yeah. boy, was that a surprising game. <clears throat> but mm. <clears throat> regardless, it's the touch volume. It is the fact that he looks like he is well past the ankle injury, which is good. Yeah. Even the week before when Samaj P. Ryan played most of the reps, it, it – Mixon, he looked pretty darn good on the touchdown run. And yeah, so absolutely. I'm confident there. And we know he is one of the backs in the NFL, and there aren't a lot of them, who his team will give him a true three-down workload. That's a that's an anomaly almost in 2021, but he's one of those guys. Absolutely. By the way, we're getting some <laughs> questions in on the YouTube chat. Thanks so, for, so much for everybody for streaming us live. We're 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday. Some combination of me, Derek Klassen, Mike Tanier, Aaron Schatz, I do the fantasy shows on Tuesday and Friday. We appreciate it for all of the trade questions and stuff um, and the player value questions. I'm going to hold those to the end of the show and circle back. So in the meantime, let's move over to the 4 p.m. window. Got a couple good games here. Eagles at Raiders first, 405 in Las Vegas in the Dome. Compelling case here. Like a lot of the afternoon games are in a Dome when all the morning ones are outside. So that's just like a, a kind of a quirky little thing that could have some DFS value here. Uh, but my major storyline question for you, Jeff, is – do you think Kenyon Drake's two touchdown game last week, does that mean anything? Like, obviously, you had the head coaching turnover. We've got Rich Bisaccia, uh, I think that's how you say his name, the former special teams coordinator, now as the interim head coach. Do you think that Drake getting those two touchdowns means something for him going forward? No. He played 12 either. snaps. <laughs> I know. I know. 18% and 21% snap shares the last two weeks. He barely beat Jalen Richard. Barely. Yeah. I mean, this is the Josh <laughs> Jacobs show. It's just... It's all Josh Jacobs. And this is a key for anybody watching right now. I mean, if you're watching this, you're probably pretty savvy. But if you sort by last week's fantasy points scored, mm. Drake's going to look pretty good. Yep. But that gives you no context. And the context of it all is it was largely Josh Jacobs. I actually thought Josh Jacobs looked pretty spry in that game too, which yeah. is encouraging. And Philly is the opposite of last year. Last year, pretty tough on the run, not so much on the pass. This year – that addition of Steven Nelson in the secondary has really helped galvanize things a little bit. And especially the last couple of weeks, Darius Slay has kind of rounded into form. He's done, I mean, generally a good job the whole season. He's really keeping plays in front of them. Yeah. So you can run on Philly, and this is a week where I'm pretty bullish on Josh Jacobs. I'm with you on Josh Jacobs, and I, just, I think it's a mistake if you're buying into Kenyon Drake. This is probably obvious by the snap total, by the lack of touches too, but like, 
those two touchdowns last week, he had 0.2 expected touchdowns on those touches. <laughs> um, one of them was like a freakish completion that I, I can't really even fully explain how it worked out. But I'm not, it's not that I'm saying that Drake isn't a talented player. Like clearly he was overpaid in the offseason and that kind of threw some people off the track of what this split might be. But it's just like he's just not involved in the offense in the way that's going to lead to any kind of fantasy production. So uh, I would say leave him on your waiver wires for now. I'm curious that you brought up Darius Slay because I was eyeing Henry Ruggs as a possible DFS value. 5,700 in Fandle. I think that's a little bit underpriced. And Slay, who's now 30 years old, had been trending negatively. He's a former all-pro cornerback. He had 5.7 yards per target allowed in 2018. Really low. 2019, 7.7. Still not bad. 2020, 9.9. Very bad. And so I was like, it kind of seemed like he was trending that way. But you're right that his numbers are up a little bit so far this season. And is there anything that you've noticed there? Do you think Ruggs is a good value? I'm just kind of being like, well, Ruggs has been playing well. He's been getting deep. Can Slay keep up with him? Like, what are your thoughts in the matchup? Well, Slay kept up with DJ Moore. He did. I know you watched that game very closely. Moore was not open once. Yeah. No, and there was no separation there. That was the first time they used him to shadow this season. Then he did shadow again last Mm -hmm. week. I I don't know if they shadow, though, because – so last week, <clears throat> you mentioned a coaching shakeup. Obviously, we all know what happened, but we weren't sure what was going to happen yeah, after the fact. The fallout, the on-field fallout. And I was encouraged by how they used Brian Edwards. And, mm-hmm. you know, we saw Hunter Renfro maybe fade back to probably where he should be based on his snap share in terms of the pecking order. And Brian Edwards, one one hand catch down the sideline was a <laughs> yeah. thing of beauty. This kid, Absolutely. if it ever comes together, he was so good at <laughs> South Carolina. But uh, I don't know if they prioritize rugs. And you know, do you? If you were going to go that approach, you almost I almost feel like you have to have some sort of cloud. You know, you have to have somebody behind you because if he blows by you, which he can do, even you know, it doesn't matter who the corner is. Yeah. He's, they're going to kill you. Derek Carr is taking shots downfield. His average depth of target over nine yards this season, which is not a Derek Carr A dot. <laughs> now, I mean, two years ago, he was basically down there with Alex Smith in like six and a half or whatever. Exactly. So they're going to have to do something there. I, I don't know. I'm I'm reluctant to use uh, use those receivers in DFS, though. As you mentioned with rugs, you just get that. Po- you can get an entire week of production in just three catches. He doesn't need. Yeah you know, 15 targets to give you a, a good DFS day. Obviously volatile. So yeah, maybe use them at your own risk, but I'm a little bit intrigued. I, I may want to watch this game and see how both of these teams play out to get a little more confidence here. Uh, but for the time being, let's shift over to the other 405 game lions at Rams. That's in the dome in Los Angeles. Uh, Matthew Stafford's kind of been giving me um, some tricks from fantasy perspective. Like obviously he's playing great from a real world perspective. He's actually first in passing DVOA with 36% and maybe a real MVP candidate with how well the Rams are playing. But from a fantasy perspective, it seems like we're having kind of a, a, like a boon era, honestly, for fantasy quarterbacks, not just with guys like Patrick Mahomes, but we've got all these running quarterbacks like Kyler Murray, like Jalen Hurts, who may not be like the best real life quarterback, but is running so much that the fantasy value is there. So I want your help, Jeff. Like, where do you think Stafford fits in from a fantasy perspective among these other great quarterbacks? Still top 10. He's okay. still one of these guys who, if I have my, I don't feel the need in a one quarterback lead to carry a backup. I'm yeah. very confident in him. Jalen Hurts, by the way, will give us three quarters of nothing and then run for two touchdowns <laughs> in the fourth quarter and everything will be okay. So you're saying he's the Derrick Henry of quarterbacks, just a fourth quarter closer? <laughs> so that's a no. Um, I think we might have lost Jeff for a second. So let me pick up here and mention that 
Stafford, like I'm projecting him for 18.9 fantasy points per game over the rest of the season. That's tied for 10th for me among quarterbacks. So kind of right in the range that Jeff suggested. Um, we've got Kirk Cousins is right there, but it's behind Patrick Mahomes, behind Josh Allen, behind Kyler Murray, behind Hertz, as mentioned, who I still am a little concerned could lose his job, but for now is playing from a fantasy perspective really well. Herbert, Prescott, uh, Brady, Lamar, and Aaron Rodgers. So kind of a back end there. I think he's usable in the right matchup, and I have him uh, fifth this week when so many of those other guys are on by. So I think he's a really appealing option for you this week. But for the season, I'm not sure how much of a difference maker he is, to tell you the truth. All right, from a DFS perspective, I'm going to say DeAndre Swift is a nice value at 6000 in DraftKings. I think that's $1,200 underpriced. Given that they brought in Jamal Williams, somebody that's a good pass protector, was a better runner between the tackles, at least we think so, I was worried that he may be a little bit less consistent from a week-to-week perspective. But Swift actually has four catches and 33 receiving yards every game this season, so I've been very impressed by the consistency there. Meanwhile, you expect those numbers to even increase from there this week uh, for the, oh, I wish Jeff was here for me to say revenge game here uh, with, uh, with you know, the Goff uh, and Stafford trade. But the Rams, I mean, they've been very effective at building leads. That's probably going to lead to more opportunities for Swift to catch the ball. But meanwhile, the Rams, they were the number two DVA run defense last season, but have slipped a little bit to 11th this season. So I think Swift is going to have the receiving production, but may also be a little bit more effective on the ground than you might expect and could lead to a really big fantasy week. I think he's a great value in, in DraftKings, where I think his price may be a little bit down because of a perception that the matchup is a little bit worse than it actually is. All right, I'll just keep on trucking here until we try to get Jeff back on the line. Uh, we got Texans at Cardinals, 425 Eastern in the Dome in Arizona. My major storyline here is about Zach Ertz. Obviously got traded to the Cardinals last week, and you feel good about the fact that he's the number one tight end again after being kind of buried a bit behind Dallas Goddard in recent seasons. But I, I'm curious how to stack that up related to, you know, the wide receiver focus of the team with guys like A.J. Green, Christian Kirk, and Rondale Moore, complementing what you're seeing from DeAndre Hopkins. And so from my perspective, I'm kind of treating Ertz the way that I thought we were seeing Max Williams kind of progress. Um, Williams ended up having a 10.6% target share in weeks one to five. That was tied for 28th among tight ends over that stretch. And it was a bit of a slow start. So I think we have room to be a little bit more optimistic than we were there too. But I honestly think this actually may be a bit of a fantasy downgrade for Ertz, as counterintuitive as that is, because even while he was the second tight end for the Eagles, he was still seeing upwards of like a 19% target share over the course of the start of the season this this week. Even if he did substantially more than Williams was doing for the Cardinals this year, Ertz would take a step back from there. Um, I think given the dearth of tight end options, he may flirt with the, the top 10 or top 12 some weeks in the right matchups. Um, but I, I'm honestly not sure that the Texans is it, because again, the Cardinals have a chance to build a really substantial lead here and may end up running the ball more than they typically would anyway. So if I were going to take a DFS shot here for the Cardinals, I might actually lean on A.J. Green. He's at 5600 and Fanduel. That's $400 underpriced. Something I've noticed, even though their fantasy totals haven't quite been the same, the target splits have been a lot more even between Green and DeAndre Hopkins than I would have expected. 17.3% target share for the former, 20.5% for Hopkins on this season. So that seems pretty close together, honestly. The big difference has been touchdowns. Uh, Hopkins has six on the season, but just 4.0 expected touchdowns. And Green is much closer together there with three touchdowns and 2.8 expected. So those guys might actually, they might blend a little bit together over the course of the season and be a little bit more similar from a fantasy perspective. And so I would suggest that, you know, maybe Green may be a little bit undervalued right now in DFS, while Hopkins may be a little bit overvalued, assuming he can't keep up the extreme touchdown pace. 
Uh, Useful Baker mentions in the chat that the addition of Zach Ertz may have a, a bigger effect on Rondale Moore for the Cardinals. I think that could really be the case. Not just him, too, but Christian Kirk last week set his uh, season high in snap share. So both of those guys may be forced to play a little bit less than you would expect with Ertz. So, like, honestly, Ertz may not be a great development for anybody's fantasy value in the offense. Um, but I do think that people may be sleeping a bit on A.J. Green having a bounce back year right now. So I would kind of look his way. Uh, for for a fantasy value right now. All right, next up, Bears at Buccaneers, 425 Eastern in Tampa Bay, 89 degrees and clear. My major storyline question here is, will Khalil Herbert continue to have fantasy value when Damian Williams returned from the COVID list? And I actually, honestly, I meant to look this up. I don't know whether Damian Williams is going to be able to play this week. I'm not sure we even know that news anyway, because the fact of the matter is he went on the COVID list last Thursday. We don't know whether he's vaccinated or not. Hey, Jeff, what's up, man? Um, I've just shifted into the Bucks and, and Bears game, and I'm asking about Khalil Herbert vis-a-vis Damian Williams. I don't know if you've seen any news here, but like Williams went on the COVID list last Thursday, and we don't know whether he's vaccinated or not, but if he weren't, he'd have to be quarantined for 10 days, and it might be Sunday before we even know if he can play. But beyond the availability this week, Jeff, what do you think about Herbert and what he's done so far, and do you think that he maybe has kind of taken a bigger hold of the, of the offense, even if Williams is able to play? Yeah, apologize for the technological hiccup here, and I'm still a little slow, but uh, <laughs> at least in the little lag. But uh, hey, Khalil Herbert has done a very admirable job job in filling in here, and is uh, a testament to the grad transfer yeah. uh, policy in the NCAA. He wouldn't be in the NFL right now had he not transferred uh, to Virginia Tech last year. Very likely, I don't think he would be at least. So um, he's run better than Damian Williams. It does not look like Damian Williams is likely here. Of course, the problem being that opponent is very good against the run. That's so true. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm going to view him as a fringe RB2 play, just volume based. I'm hoping that Justin Fields can let it rip against that defense that is so banged up in the secondary. And yeah. even though Justin Fields, it won't be a high volume day. I'm hoping he completes some of those long balls that he's throwing. And maybe we get a plunge or two out of Herbert. Uh, but, you know, the nice news, though, is it does sound like even when David Montgomery is back, which I don't think is going to be until they're after their bye week. Uh, I that agree with Herbert, that, which I think is week yeah. 10, right? Yep. And it's always weird when they have that injury and it's like four or five weeks and the fifth <laughs> week butts up against the bye yeah. week. But he'll be the at least the cuff going forward and maybe a little bit more than that if they want to spell Monty um, after that point. But for now... RB fringe RB two this week. And obviously it could be a little bit more than that in a better matchup. Yeah. I'd love to see that. I mean, I am, I'm kind of gutted for, for Damien um, because like, honestly, he was such an exciting player back in 2019 and like his decision to opt out last season. I mean, I think is a very admirable one trying to protect his family and everything, but like, man, it's kind of like totally derailed his NFL career finally gets a chance again. And then COVID happens. And it's just like, it's a shame, but I've been very encouraged what I've seen with Herbert so far, and I'm excited about him, if not necessarily in this matchup. As for this game, from a DFS perspective, I'd honestly rather rely on some Buccaneers, starting with Leonard Fournette, 6,400 in DraftKings. I think that's 500 underpriced. Uh, I'm, I guess I'm a little bit less surprised by the carry share. Is at 58.2% this year? That's 12th among running backs. But seeing a lot of targets, 11.4% target share is 23rd among running backs. He's really taken that work in a, in a place where I thought Giovanni Bernard might kind of butt in there. Hasn't been the case. I feel like Fournette is like clearly a top 10 running back at this point. Isn't quite priced that way. Do you feel the same going forward? 
I do. I really bang the drum all along. A lot of times in fantasy football, people will do the Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber thing, put the fingers in the air, la, 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 la. I can't yeah. hear what you're saying. Taysom Hill is going to be the starter, la, 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 la. Ronald Jones, la, 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 la. I get that we love Ronald Jones, but Fournette down the stretch last year was so heavily used. The Play writing was Lenny. on the wall for this. Yeah. And all we had to do was pay attention. Now, Bruce Arians, credit where credit's due, he was asked, would you consider trading Ronald Jones? He basically laughed at that idea. Mm-hmm. It's a it's an age-old fantasy idea. Well, hey, I'll never start Ronald Jones, so therefore I should trade him. Well, what if your starters get hurt? What if Leonard <laughs> Fournette gets hurt? They have Ronald Jones. That's a pretty good spot for them to be in. Yeah. So it is kind of laughable. But, yeah, I'm with you 100%. Bullish on Leonard Fournette. This game script should be favorable. They're obviously feeding him the rock. And honestly, credit where credit's due, he's playing good football on top of it to boot. So, hey, Absolutely. you draft him in the ninth round, eighth round of redraft leagues, and you're sitting pretty uh, when a lot of people who drafted running backs in round two, three, four are not sitting pretty right now. All right, we're heading to Sunday night football for the Colts at 49ers, which on the face may not sound that excited, but I'm more excited for this game than anything else this week. And the Jeff, the reason for that is that we have a 69% chance of rain and 17 mile per hour winds or more. I was looking at AccuWeather and they're saying that in San Francisco, there could be 46 mile per hour winds. I don't know how much of that's going to hit Santa Clara. Someone astutely pointed out on Twitter that it's not quite the same location, but I'm optimistic there could be some pretty extreme weather in this game. And so my question for you, Jeff, is what do you do from fantasy perspective when a game has a chance for extreme weather, especially one that's on Sunday night when it's going to be hard to like wait till game time to make decisions? Bank on the run game, I guess. I mean, the, yeah. the nice thing is we there's only, what, two essentially viable receiving options in this one in Michael Pittman and Debo Samuel, and I think he used them regardless. Yeah. Debo, especially because the short the short uh, he, he runs targets. the ball even. So, yeah, that, that seems yeah. like a good fit. And then, I mean, obviously, Jonathan Taylor with the run that he's been on over the last three weeks. And Elijah Mitchell, Kyle Shanahan, people can say he's like pulling the wool over eyes. How? Every single time Elijah Mitchell has been healthy, it is abundantly clear that that is his guy. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think, you know, fortunately, it's not like it's a game that we would expect to be extremely pass heavy. So in this instance, we, we kind of get bailed out. But yeah, I would bank on the run game, just like we saw last night, bank on the run game. I'm with you there, Jeff. So I, I've done a lot of weather-related research. Um, and in my research, heavy precipitation cuts pass plays by 4% per game and increases run plays by 10% per game. Yeah. High winds cut pass plays by 1% per game and increase run plays by 4% per game. So two weather factors that may shift the, the pass plays more toward the run. Now, that said, there are not a lot of games in my database where we have 40-mile-an-hour winds as being a possibility. So like, we don't exactly know what's going to happen. But just calling out a couple games with extreme weather from recent seasons in 2019, actually the 49ers played a huge rain soaked game in Washington. They won it nine, nothing. And there was 151 and 77 passing yards on the two sides. There's a game called the wind bowl between the Patriots and bills from week seven, 2008 that had 30 mile per hour sustained wins. And there were 48 and 128 passing yards that game. So I guess I'm probably not going to be at the place where I'm going to bench Debo Samuel, especially with so many other teams on by, but like, I don't feel good that like Pittman is going to have tons of, of yardage, even as clearly the number one option on this team. So I I'm really looking to ride running backs kind of only um, both from a real world, like a traditional league perspective and a DFS perspective. Uh, and I'll point out, you were mentioning Mitchell being obviously the guy he's played 60% or more of offensive snaps in his three healthy games had 19 and 17 carries in the two weeks that he played with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. 
Garoppolo is going to be the quarterback this week too. I think he's an unbelievable steal at $5,800 in FanDuel. I think it's 1000 under price. Trey Sermon played three snaps right before the bye. Like when Mitchell's on the field together, he he's a backup. I mean, he just is. It's not a split. Mitchell's the guy, and I think he's a really good value and could see a lot of work if it ends up being as windy as the chances say that it could be. Now, that 2008 game, was that Matt Castle under center? It was. <laughs> good memory. That might have contributed to the lack of passing yardage, but I'm not sure the Bills had the same excuse since they were at home, but I don't know. I'm just looking forward to it. I hope it really is windy just from a fan perspective, but that could throw a wrench in some of your fantasy plans, so keep that in mind. Jeff, we got one more game to hit. The Monday night game, Saints at Seahawks, Monday, 8-15 in Seattle, 53 degrees. There's actually a 62% chance of rain here, so that could be a factor here as well. Also a factor that Geno Smith is playing quarterback instead of uh, Russell Wilson. So I've kind of expressed how I've been a little bit down on you know your DK Metcalfs of the world uh, just because of the quarterback downgrade. But from the Saints' perspective, Jameis Winston is going to get some pass catchers back in the coming weeks. Um, Traquan Smith, I think, maybe playing Monday. Michael Thomas, hopefully in the next two or three weeks or so. So maybe not a question as much for this week, Jeff, but do you think Winston has a chance to become a viable fantasy option uh, once he gets those better skill position players back in the lineup? That's another good question. I don't entirely know the answer because we have to know their plans. We know they're not throwing the football a lot, mm -hmm. and that's probably by design. You yeah. would have to imagine if you're – Chucking the ball 45, 50 times a game with Jameis, uh, there's going to be three or four interceptions in each one of those games. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, I don't know when my, Michael Thomas, that fantasy folks hear pup and they automatically assume it's week seven. Yeah. We have no clue when know. he's coming back. We have yeah, no true. clue. Hopefully, like you said, it's in a couple of weeks. But we have no clue. Getting Traquan helps. Jameis is a downfield passer, and hopefully we can leverage that bit of Traquan's game that Drew Brees really couldn't tap into late career Drew Brees with his arm strength gone. But the intrigue that I have in this game actually is Taysom Hill still in the concussion protocol. We saw that brutal hit that he took before yeah. the bye week. Well, that means there's no vulture. You know, I hope he That's gets true. better, obviously, but the, no vulture for Alvin Kamara, and that is huge in this matchup that I do think is going to really feature him uh, to the fullest extent, I, I love Kamara in this in this matchup. If you're playing uh, contests that span the whole weekend, I, mm -hmm. I love using Kamara even at the price point, uh, just because of the expected volume, the matchup, and hopefully the uh, goal line work in that game as well. I agree with you. Actually, this was a point that I was going to make for Jameis Winston, but it's honestly more an Alvin Kamara point in fantasy than anything else. That Winston has done 23 pass attempts or um, more than 23 in just one of his five games so far this season. I don't know how much of this is because they're waiting for Michael Thomas and Traquan Smith to come back, but they're incredibly committed to the ground. And it makes sense for other reasons too, because they have a really good defense. You mentioned Winston may be a bit prone to turning the ball over things that aren't going to really help bit. this team right now. <laughs> so I think Kamara is an absolutely good play. Honestly, I kind of like it better than who I'm suggesting here. I just wanted to bring up Alex Collins to talk about him. I think he's underpriced in a sense at 5,300 in DraftKings because I think he's really good when available. But the problem is, like, we don't actually know if Collins is going to be able to play in this game. He's got a hip injury and is questionable. And, Jeff, I don't know if it's possible to protect yourself right now because Rashad Penny's coming off injured reserve. I'm not sure who his backup is. Is it Penny? Is it Dallas? This is really more a traditional league question, but if you have Collins, do you need to put him on the bench for someone else, or do you think you can protect yourself? 
Yeah, if Penny is actually activated, P. Carroll, the Kumbaya King, telling us all everything is fine and dandy. You know, Collins is going to practice. Nope, he didn't practice. Yeah, uh, he'll uh, Penny will be activated. Well, not yet. At least I haven't seen it yet, unless I just missed some news here being on this show. What about this, Scott? Heading into the season, we would have yeah. said Chris Carson, right? And then the number two would have been Rashad Penny. Well, players don't lose their job in the NFL due to injury. Now, I know Rashad Penny is in the doghouse a little bit from not being able to stay healthy, but there is a world where Penny comes in and is right ahead of Alex Collins immediately as well. I don't know if that happens, but there is certainly a greater than 0% chance that it happens. So there's so many uncertainties here. And then we could be in a situation where neither of them play, and it's DJ Dallas, I guess, with Travis Homer. It's a mess. It's a mess. Plus, you're playing one of the best run defenses in the league. So I think the move for fantasy is probably to leave all these guys on your benches and see what happens. And hopefully that'll inform you for future weeks. Jeff, let's hit one question from the chat on YouTube before we let you go. Lance Dyerland says he traded uh, Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick for Devontae Adams and Miles Sanders. Did he win? Well, he definitely got the best player in the deal in Devontae Adams. So I think in that sense, he won. But if he's playing in a deeper format where running backs may not be as available in the waiver wire, that's maybe where it becomes a bit of a question. What do you think? Well, I don't think the point of a trade is to win the trade. Nobody's going to give you a trophy because you want to trade, right? The whole point of the trade is to make your team better. Absolutely. So in losing two running backs, and those are both, even though they're on the same team and, and they give up Hopkins here as well. Uh, the those oh, guys wow, can yeah. both be used this week. Now, our expectations for Gibson with the shin injury are certainly lower than what we had heading into the season, but I'm still going to rank him as an RB2. I'm still going to rank McKissick in a game where I think they play from behind as an RB2. So, yes, you get an upgrade in Adams. You get Sanders. I think that's a downgrade for Gibson. Thir- for sure. 13 yeah. rushing attempts per game for the Philly backfield. That's not even half of what Derrick Henry is doing per game. <laughs> It's I, I don't I don't know if it's a win or a loss, but I think overall that probably hurt the team, which then if that's how you gauge wins and losses here, it's a loss. Both teams can win in a trade. A trade yeah. could in theory make both teams better and they both win. So remember, it's not about winning the trade. It, you know, you have one objective with every move you make in fantasy football, and it's to make your team better. Absolutely. Well, I know you've got to run soon, Jeff. So I wanted to thank you for coming on. And I want you to tell everybody all the many places they can they can read your work, hear your work, et cetera. Sure. Yeah. So and I appreciate being on, Scott. It's always a pleasure talking to you. You're one of the most knowledgeable, knowledgeable dudes out there in the industry. And uh, just always a pleasure, man. Uh, so, yeah, over at FTNFantasy.com, FTNDaily.com, FTNBets.com. Get all the content. NBA has started, so I'm additionally <laughs> nice. covering NBA betting. Love it. Uh, over at uh, SiriusXM, SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio Channel 87 from 10 to noon Eastern, Monday through Friday, the Jeff Ratcliffe Show, very original name. On Sunday mornings at CBS Sports Network, if you get it on your cable package, you can watch <laughs> from 8 to noon Eastern that other pregame show. A pregame show that also covers fantasy and betting this year. So, you know, you get all that's, that's of it. That's what you need. Absolutely. It's amazing. And uh, I think, oh, and I have a podcast too. You can just search out The Rant with Jeff Ratcliffe for Absolutely. that one. A lot of options for you guys, but they're all good ones. Jeff is tremendous. One of the best in the business. Thanks again for being on. Thanks for everybody that's, that watched us live 1 to, to 2 p.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, or Facebook. However it is you like to watch us, you can catch us after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network as well. 
Good luck to everybody in their week seven matchups and be sure to swing back next week to get a recap and to get your fantasy waiver advice next Tuesday with me. Thanks so much and enjoy your weekend.